All right, so why don't we go ahead and get started here. So uh, my name is Chris Schwarz, and I'm Associate Professor of uh, Finance, as well as the Faculty Director of the Center for Investment Wealth Management here at UCI's Paul Mirage School of Business. Uh, so the center's goal is financial uh, literacy education in the community, and obviously uh, we do a bunch of different programs at the high school level, the college level, and of course the community level, uh, which is what this program falls under today. All right, so we're very excited to partner with one of our, our typical and normal partners we use and excited to be with the WISE group again, the Women Investing in Securities Education. So WISE is one of our fantastic partners that we've been working with for a number of years, uh, and we're very excited to partner with them uh, with this particular event once again. Uh, hopefully one of these days we can do uh, in-person events again and uh, you know with the vaccine rolling out hopefully that'll happen uh, very soon but we're happy you could join us for the zoom meeting today uh, so without further ado let me introduce uh, my friends at wise maybe if angela wants to pop in here and uh, and the rest of the crew and take it from here that'd be great and again thank you for partnering with us and we look forward to uh, the presentation Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the kind words. And you are such a great partner to WISE over so many events in so many years. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. I'm Angela Daly, WISE co-president. Uh, these virtual events do have its advantages. For the first time, WISE can have uh, people from all over the country join our meetings, which is very exciting to us. WISE has been fulfilling its mission for financial education for females of all ages and all economic and social backgrounds since our founding in 1997. Which is all, we we're celebrating our 25th anniversary, so we're having a milestone next year. Uh, we, but we do this because we believe very strongly that if you manage your money better, you're gonna have more options in life, more opportunities, and the ability to fulfill your dreams. A wise woman once said, I've been rich and I've been poor, and rich is better. So we work through our partners, our community partners, such as Girl Scouts, Girls Inc., and universities. Uh, despite the challenges of this um, horrific year, WISE hit many records, one being the uh, participation at our events. Tonight's program is part of our groundbreaking series, Tearing Down the Pink Wall, which is meant to both educate and inspire. So we could bring together the best and the brightest to inspire all of us to reach our full potential. Tonight, we have a very special guest, Veronica Dagger. Veronica is an award-winning Wall Street Journal reporter, frequent commentator on Fox Business, and the host of the very popular podcast series, The Secrets of Wealthy Women. Now, I've known Veronica for more than a decade. And of course, I've known about her interest in financial education, um, that's why we invited her here tonight. But what I didn't know until very recently is how personal all of this is to her. Her father passed away very prematurely, leaving her, her mother, a very young widow with two young children, scrambling to figure out the family's finances. And she impressed on Veronica at a very early age the importance of being able to manage your money. So Veronica's experience are perfectly aligned with Wise's mission and the importance of getting control of your finances and knowing what you own. Veronica is going to be interviewed by two Wise board members who have impressive credentials in their own right. Stephanie King was an executive vice president at PIMCO, one of the largest and most prestigious firms in the world. And Rosemary Pugh headed up global marketing at a number of financial powerhouses 
including research affiliates. We have a two-part program. First, we're going to talk about the lessons learned during the podcast series, and then we're going to get a little more personal with Veronica and talk to her about her own career path and the lessons learned from her mom. So with that, one housekeeping, please put any questions in the Q&A box, not the chat box. So with that, let's welcome Veronica, Stephanie, and Rosemary. Take it away. Wonderful. Thank you, Angela, for that beautiful introduction. And Veronica, it is such a pleasure to have the opportunity to interview you. Having heard you interview so many successful women over the years, and of course, being so successful in your own right, we're really excited to have you here to share your wisdom with our audience. Um, I want to echo Angela and Chris in thanking you for joining this event. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I've heard so many great things about WISE and the group. Uh, I've known Angela for years, as she said, and that she's always one of my favorite people. So it's, it's great to be part of an event that she's part of and to meet all of you tonight. Wonderful. Well, as Angela said, I'm going to focus on the lessons that you learned through interviewing a whole variety of successful women. Um, you are, as Angela said, an award-winning senior wealth management journalist for the Wall Street Journal, also the co-creator and host of the very successful podcast, The Secrets of Wealthy Women. And in your podcast, you talk to women about, um, I like how you put it, how they tackle career money in the world. What inspired you to create the podcast? Well, we knew women, more women were starting their own businesses, taking a greater interest in their finances. Some women were making more money than before. And so we, I wanted to take an opportunity to speak to some incredibly successful women and hear how they've managed those careers, managed that money, and become so successful throughout their journey. Uh, I wanted to really highlight those stories, especially at the journal where maybe traditionally known for to being a more male focused type of place. So I wanted to shed light on some of these incredible women out there that maybe you heard of, maybe you haven't, but they've done some great things. One key point for me though, in starting the show was I wanted to make sure it was a very balanced show. And what I mean by that is I didn't want it to be a press release for a certain person. I wanted to hear not only their successes, but also their struggles. Because from what my own life and from the many women I've interviewed, I found that some of the greatest lessons come from the struggles, come from the obstacles you face and being able to move past those obstacles in creative ways. And so I wanted to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly about these women's journeys. And that model seemed to really resonate with the audience. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, yeah, I agree. It's, it's fascinating, um, fascinating content for those in our audience who may not have heard. I highly recommend listening to the podcast. Maybe tell, tell us um, a little bit about some of the guests you've hosted over the years. So those are our household names like Aisha Curry or Maria Sharapova or Bobby Brown, Rebecca Minkoff, uh, Sheila Johnson. And then some of them are very specific to their industry. So maybe um, you haven't heard of Therese Tucker, but maybe you have. She's the CEO and founder of Blackline. It's a very profitable and successful tech company. She's one of the wealthiest women in the Valley. And we had her on the show to hear about her story and what how she almost overcame failure several times. 
So bringing women like that to the audience was also very exciting for us because we got to highlight some of these unsung heroes, so to, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, you do talk to women across a whole variety of career pursuits. You talk to business, business women, of course, um, people in entertainment, um, medicine, sports, philanthropy. Um, it's really a wide range. Are there common themes that you find uh, across women in a, pursuing a whole host of, of opportunities that, that suggest that there might be common themes to success? For sure. Uh, I would say one of the themes is that they don't give up. You know, some of the women we've spoken to have dealt with things like bankruptcy or a job loss or something very serious like the loss of a loved one or uh, an assault. We've had women speak very personally about some of their stories to us in a very generous way, in a way that benefits the audience. Um, And no matter what they've encountered, whether it's their personal or professional or financial life, these women, they take the time to grieve it, to deal with it, but then also to pick themselves up from the bottom and help them recreate their lives. Um, I think that recreation is sort of another really relevant theme for now. It's this whole idea of the pivot. Maybe things didn't work out the way you would hope they would. Um, I think last year, 2020, was a perfect example of that. Nobody could have predicted that. Um, But sometimes it's one of those things, how you react is the way can really set the course for the future of your life. And so understanding, yes, this isn't what I expected and maybe I need to alter my course now. And several of the women we spoke to did that. And what was interesting is they they did that at various ages. So some of them did it early on in their careers, but other ones did it, you know, well into their fifties and sixties and, and beyond. And they were willing to reinvent themselves, change with the times, be flexible and be unafraid. So did you, in choosing your guests, did you purposely seek out uh, guests who you knew had that story? Or did it just happen to be that so many successful people happen to have that in common? That's a good question. I tend to gravitate to those sorts of stories. And I would research people that I knew were going to be forthcoming. We didn't want someone who's going to give us this glossy uh, situation where nobody could relate to that, because that doesn't necessarily benefit the audience. People want to hear the good and the bad, not to be gawk at people, but also to feel like they're not alone. I think that was another reason the show was so successful is because people felt heard. They felt like they weren't the only one uh, to overcome a challenge. And so I, I intentionally, I did a lot of research on the guests. I would spend hours and hours researching them. And so I would select people like that. You know, once in a while you would get someone who, Um, wouldn't be so forthcoming, but I tried to make an effort to really make people feel comfortable and realize, you know, I'm not just asking a question to ask a question. I'm asking a question because I think your story can benefit some other woman. You can help empower some other woman by sharing your story. That's great. Yeah. The most memorable podcasts for me are the ones with entrepreneurs and, you know, t- Tony Co of Nick's Cosmetics, I think is a, a popular guest of yours. Um, I was super interested in Dr. Rodan and Dr. Fields, the creators of the, the acne treatment proactive. 
Um, Risk-taking and learning from failure seem to be big themes for your entrepreneur guests. Um, you, you probably also interview loads of men in your career as a Wall Street Journal reporter. Do you find any differences in the way that male entrepreneurs handle risk-taking and failure that's distinct or different from how women handle it? Or is it pretty much the same? It's an interesting question. Um, you know, I haven't necessarily noticed a break breakout by gender in this area of entrepreneurship. And I have interviewed probably a lot more female entrepreneurs than men, but still, I think one theme I have noticed, a pattern I have noticed anecdotally, is that it seems like some of the female entrepreneurs, say the Barbara Corcoran, Corcoran's of the world, or the Bonnie St. John's of the world, they came from very humble beginnings. And I found that some of the entrepreneurs who have come from very humble beginnings are more interested in or more able to take risk, are less concerned about failure because in certain cases, they already have survived on very little. They know they can make it by with, with very little. And so, you know, if you're not afraid to fall because you feel like in a way you've already fallen and, and dealt with so many challenges in your life, you're willing to put yourself out there more. And now that's just sort of my, uh, just a pattern. And of course this doesn't apply to everyone who comes from humble beginnings, but that willingness to uh, take a risk and to turn things around um, partly for your own good, but also because you want to do good by your family too. I mean, it, it seems to be a very powerful motivator for some of the entrepreneurs I've spoken with. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's fascinating for the serial entrepreneurs um, are, are the ones that take all that they um, earned, I guess, from their first venture and put it all on the line. And the next one, I'm always like, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I, seriously, right? Everybody's got their different risk tolerance. It's not that something I, I would be... I don't think I'd be able to do, um, but you know, Therese Tucker, who I mentioned before, at one point she had, you know, borrowed a bunch of money from her 401k. She had mortgaged her house. She was the sole breadwinner. Um, she had two kids and, you know, it didn't seem like the business was going to work out. Uh, but her husband actually said, just keep going. You're almost there. I think you're going to succeed. You're going to break through. And she kept with it. And, you know, she's a billionaire now. <laughs> she, it worked out for her. It doesn't always work out that well for everyone, of course, but um, just that ability to put everything on the line because you believe so strongly in what you're doing and the good it can do for society and, and the, the business prospects that are available to you. I, I think that's, it's a very, I think it's one of the most courageous things you can do is become an entrepreneur, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, Shifting gears a little bit, I'm um, a parent of teens, and it strikes me how often um, parents of teens seem to operate as if there's this single narrow path to success, it usually involves making sure your kids have good grades and go to a good college, and hopefully the rest works out. But what I appreciate about your podcast is no guest followed one path, and I don't recall any guest saying that their good grades in high school were the reason why they were so successful. So I do love that about your podcast. What are your views having talked to all these women about what was and wasn't important 
in charting their path to success. <laughs> right. I hadn't hear, heard anyone say anything about their high school career in the show or their grades. Uh, you know, I, I think so much of it, what I've seen is that women are the most successful are the ones following their passion. They're, whether it's they're super passionate about making the best handbag for women or super passionate about creating sustainable fashion for women or are completely committed to financial education and empowering people to make better financial decisions. They have that one driving purpose that they're completely committed to, that they believe in, even if other people don't believe in it at the time, they know it's true. They follow that passion um, and they're willing to have that razor sharp uh, focus on it. And I think that passion can really carry you through the difficult times because if you're trying to launch a business or you're trying to be at the top of your field, you're probably going to have to make a lot of personal sacrifices at some point um, and also professional sacrifices. There's things that you may not be able to do that you always want to do. Now, you might have to work very long hours. You're going to have good days and bad days. And I think if you're passionate about something, it can carry you through those inevitable dark times. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's good advice, I think. Um, giving back. So WISE is an organization um, of women and men, primarily from financial services, who try to use our skills to give back to the community in terms of financial literacy. We know that you volunteer um, and use your skills to, um, to prevent human trafficking through the Lifeway Network. And um, we, you know, I think both of us believe strongly in taking what success we have and helping others achieve that as well. Have you seen that as a common thread in the women you interview? Is philanthropy or is giving back um, also a common theme among the successful women you speak with? It is. It is a common theme. You know, so the women I speak with say they find an added sense of meaning and purpose by giving back to causes that they're passionate about, helping other women getting outside of their own head and their own sphere and helping other people who may need a, a hand. I think that gives a, a sense of purpose, especially sometimes when you have a difficult time. I spoke to um, Carol Lavin Vernick, and she is, you know, one of the um, heiresses of Alberto Culver and uh, that company that used to exist that makes hair care products. Um, they were bought by Unilever at one point. And she took over the company um, after a very difficult divorce. And she was working a ton of hours going through a tough time uh, personally. But in her free time, somehow she found a way to integrate philanthropy into her company's activities. And this is this is several years ago. I want to say this is the 80s. Um, and she also did philanthropy personally. And she said that really lifted her spirits and got her thinking about other people in a time when other people, when she could have sat at home and, and felt bad about herself, helping other women, helping other people who needed it, lifted her outlook and helped her continue to be successful in other areas of her life. So she thinks it's very important. And so many of the women I speak to find inspiration from some of the people that they volunteer with or they give to. And I, there's that mutual uh, give and take, which I think is so wonderful. 
Yeah, and resilience is, I think, one of the first things you said was a common theme. And, you know, if you're struggling to find your own resilience, I think working with folks who have less than you have is probably one way to um, to find inspiration for, for yourself. Um, you mentioned the importance of pivoting. I think particularly this, this past year has been a time of that, um, you know, COVID-19 has had a huge impact on um, really everybody. And, you know, some of the podcasts I've listened to more recently, Emily Ramshaw, the uh, co-founder of, of the 19th nonprofit um, uh, media news organization, um, and uh, Tammy Irwin, the, the CEO of Verizon Business, um, both were on your show talking about how they um, adjusted and adapted um, within the COVID-19 world. In fact, Emily launched her new endeavor in the midst of, of COVID-19 and has had tremendous, tremendous success. Um, any learnings from the, the women you've talked with about achieving success or even just maintaining their path amidst um, such upheaval? A few things. People like Tammy and Emily very early on, and, and part of it's the nature of their business that allowed them to do this, but they were very flexible with their workforce. Um, they saw the writing on the wall that things were going to be difficult for probably a while. And so they almost overnight adapted their business to be a more remote model. Um, they also put a very high premium on how they treat their workers. They say they really want to get a sense of people's personal lives and also their professional lives and know some of the challenges, especially working moms were facing. And so they adapted some of their company policies to make it more friendly to some of those moms. And I really respect that because that helped some women stay in the workforce. We know uh, we've heard so many women dropping out um, for caregiving and for other reasons. And uh, that flexibility seems to have really resonated with their employees and probably helped their bottom line, I would imagine. Um, so that's part of it. Um, and I think also just dealing with the unexpected, kind of expect the unexpected is one of those old phrases in business, but I, I think it's true. I think if people who planned or, or thought, you know, this is probably going to go on, this pandemic thing is going to go on longer than we may expect. Um, so we have to be willing to um, just be flexible in the way we do things. I think those people tended to do well. Now that wasn't possible for everyone, but um, I think the people who who did maybe struggle during this time, um, what I'm hearing from the women who are struggling, maybe because their industry shut down or they're having other maybe financial difficulties at this time, those women are, you know, I think the ones who are powering through this are being nice to themselves. Maybe they're taking a time out to go run every day or meditate or talk to a therapist. They, they are saying those affirmations. Yeah, maybe I'm not employed right now. Maybe I am having trouble right now. Um, but I've learned from some of the counselors we've had on the show as well that, you know, you have to be nice to yourself. Everyone's going through a difficult time. This wasn't your fault. Um, and to say those positive things to yourself to get through this, the tough times that we're still in. Mm -hmm. Wise advice. I think Angela mentioned, even with our organization, we're used to being very hands-on and giving um, educational programs to folks in our community. And 
we, we've thought instead to just reach a broader audience through Zoom. Thank goodness for the technology that allows us as well as you know many of, of the guests you, you've referenced in adapting to the stay at home world. Um, you end each episode of uh, The Secrets of, of Wealthy Women with um, asking each guest for their money secret. You've now hosted over 140 interviews over the three-year run of the podcast. What are some of your favorite money secrets? And do you have your own money secret to share with our audience? My favorite money secret, and it happens to be my own as well, is the tried and true one of living below your means. I really like that one. I try to employ that in my own life, try to keep my, for example, my fixed expenses lower than I can afford. So maybe that means I live in a cheaper apartment than I could afford, but I like it. I'm not willing, you know, that it's not a priority for me to have the nicest apartment. What is a priority for me is to be able to save more for retirement or a rainy day. Um, you know, before the pandemic, I like to travel a lot. And so some of my money would go in that direction. So I think, so live below your means, but then also connect your money to what you value. So I don't really value clothes that much. So I don't spend a lot on clothes, but I know some people who do. Um, I value travel more. So I'm going to spend more money on travel. Um, I know I want to save a certain amount for retirement to feel more secure. That's another value that I, that I work towards uh, achieving. So I think understanding what's really important to you, not what's necessarily important to your friends or family or neighbors, what's important to you personally, financially, you, your spouse or whatever your living situation is, figuring that out and then diverting your money, employing your money in that direction. Mm -hmm. That's very good advice. I still remember when at my first job out of college, I had a colleague who told me right out of the gate, he, he just said, Stephanie, figure out how to maximize the 401k contribution and then live with the rest of your money. <laughs> and I had the opportunity all these decades later to thank him. Um, I was on the phone with him and I said, you know what, you don't know this, but that advice um, served me very, very well for my life. So I love great. For their money secrets and love hearing everyone's money secrets. So thank you so much for sharing this uh, with us. Um, I think, you know, the audience is probably particularly interested in learning more about you personally and about your own path to success. And so I'm going to turn it over to Rosemary for the next part of our program. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Brenda. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Great. Thank you. So we're going to dive into the your personal career journey, and I'm really excited to hear hear what you have to say. Um, so Veronica, just to start out, um, I'd like to begin with the early years and your educational foundation. Um, so you have had great success, and so we'd love to hear the path that brought you there. Just to start out with the early years, so Angela brought up the tragic event of your father passing away, how did that shape you and how did that uh, impact your career? It was huge. It was huge. I mean, my dad died suddenly when I was 11 years old. My brother was 13. My mom was in her mid forties, which is uh, definitely on the young side for a widow. Although I think the average age in the United States is somewhere mid fifties. Um, but 
she had been in a situation where she had been out of the, the paid workforce for years. Of course, she, you know, she was a, a stay-at-home mom, um, but she had been out of the paid workforce. Um, she hadn't uh, a lot of experience with finances at all. Uh, for example, she, when my dad died, she, she didn't even know how to write a check. Um, she didn't know how to write a check. She um, wasn't familiar with investments. And so when he died, she was left in a situation, you know, a widow with two young kids, two preteens, trying to figure out the finances at the worst possible time in her life. Um, you know, I have this vision of her at the kitchen table crying, you know, as my aunt and a family friend were trying to teach her you know, how to write the check, you know, you open and how to open an investment statement and what this means. You know, my dad was a lawyer, but he also had businesses. So she was also trying to sort out all of that um, all at the same time while she was grieving and trying to raise two children. It was a very difficult time for her. And, you know, you hear these stories of people who prey on widows. Well, that um, there's a couple of people trying to sell her, you know, financial products that she didn't need that were completely inappropriate for her uh, risk tolerance um, and also completely ridiculously high fees. Um, fortunately, she was savvy enough to, to say no to that um, because she had a gut feeling that this might not be a good idea for us. I'm really grateful she had that gut feeling. Um, but luckily, she had some other women around who, who were able to teach her about money. She was able to gradually learn. But I remember seeing that image of her at the table saying, I'm never going to be like that. If I can avoid it, I'm going to learn as much as I can. You know, to her credit, she learned as much as she could. And by the time she felt more uh, stable in, you know, her everything from her emotions to her finances, all that sort of came together. She, you know, by the time I was 18, she was drilling into me you know, you always need to be a financially independent woman. You, you can't rely on everyone, anyone. You need to know how to handle the money things yourself. I always want you working. Um, you have to be, you know, maxing out your 401k the second you can. Like all these things that from someone, you know, not even seven years ago knew nothing. So she, I mean, she's a huge inspiration for me in terms of her, her knowledge level now and what she overcame to get there. But in my own career, I felt like, okay, I know this from my own experience. She's been an inspiration. Let's take what I've learned from my personal life and my professional life and try to help other women because I don't want, if I can avoid it, I, I don't want other women to be in the same situation my mom was in because that uh, we were very fortunate things worked out for us. But if she had listened to some of the bad actors, if she hadn't had my aunt and her family, you know, a family friend to help her out, I'm not really sure what would have happened, honestly. Yeah, it's a great example of the importance of financial literacy. Yeah, yeah 100%. So um, talking about your educational foundation, so you have a pretty unusual background for a financial journalist. So maybe you could talk through the degrees you have and how that set you up uh, for your career. Yep. So um, I have an MBA and bachelor's from Fordham. Uh, I studied finance and marketing undergrad. And I think my concentration graduate was leadership. Uh, I at one point wanted to be a securities analyst. Uh, I thought that was sort of an interesting career. I, you know, 
interviewed and, and spoken to a few people with that. I did some internship programs in that regard. Um, but I, uh, you know, after I got my MBA, I, I knew, I always knew I wanted to write. I just didn't know, like, if that would be a career, but it's sort of a long story. But I had been working in, before I, so I started my MBA when I was in undergrad because I had um, finished my under, undergrad early. So when I was in undergrad, I was able to start that coursework. Um, after undergrad at Fordham, uh, I worked uh, various jobs, but right before my, I finished my MBA part-time that night, I was working in television ad sales. So I was doing TV ad sales during the day, MBA couple nights a week. And on the weekends, I was freelance writing. Um, I love to freelance write. At the time, uh, I got, you know, a side hustle at a regional newspaper. I started to get some clips on some of the, like hot websites like NewYorkMag.com. I got some clips in magazines like Ms. And I loved it. So once I got my MBA, I, um, I just networked with a lot of people who were Fordham alums. Fordham has a great alumni uh, connection. And I happened to meet with someone who had a similar background. He had been in ad sales as well. He had done writing on the side. Uh, we had coffee. He liked what I had to say. And he got my resume into Dow Jones. And, uh, you know, he said, I can get your resume to the right person, but you have to go through the interview process. Um, so long story short, after working in sales and making a good amount of, you know, a good amount of money for someone in their twenties, I reinvented myself and I started over as a reporting assistant, took a major pay cut, um, and started, um, reporting. And that was several years ago now, but I'm so glad I did it because I got into, I was, I think I was speaking about passion before writing really was my passion is my passion and to be able to do it professionally full-time is something I never imagined I'd be able to do. So I feel really grateful for that. But again, that was a career pivot and um, that was a, a big risk. I think a lot of people said to me like, what are you doing? Like, why are you starting over and taking such a big pay cut? But I said, you know, I got to do it now. I felt like it was now or never. So that's, well, that's the short right. version. No, no, that's a fascinating story and, <laughs> and great great to hear. Um, so the next set of questions I, um, I've taken from you because you ask these questions to your guests and I, I pulled them from your book, Resilience. Um, and so the first one is a one professional risk that you are proud of. So maybe you've already given us that, or maybe you have a different one you'd like to bring up. Well, thank you for bringing up the ebook uh, resilience. That uh, was something I had always wanted to do was write an ebook, and I had put some feelers out in my company to see if there was going to be interest in it. But I was a little timid. I hadn't done a book before, um, so I'm really proud of myself because I found out who the decision makers would be, and I got meetings with them and I pitched them, and they liked the idea and. You know, we did the book. I got the green light. Um, we got a sponsor, and uh, I, you know, I got approval for the book in like mid January, and the book was due mid March. So it was a lot of work and a lot of weekends and a lot of nights in a very short space of time. But I was so happy because that was one of my long standing goals, and I was glad I, I raised my hand and said, 
I want to do this. Will you support me? Um, that it, it was a bit out of my comfort zone. Cause like I said, I hadn't done a book before and I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. A good career advice there. Raise your hand and step out of your comfort zone. I love that. Yeah. No one's going to come to you. You have to be, especially as a woman, I think you have to sometimes be perhaps a bit more assertive. Yeah. And what about, um, can you give us one professional failure that you have survived? Sure. Um, I want to say about, gosh, maybe it's like six or seven years ago at this point. Um, Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones decided there was about 20 of us working um, who covered personal finance and wealth management, and they decided they wanted to get rid of those groups. And so we were all called in um, just one day randomly saying all of your jobs are being eliminated. Um, and it was a shock. We were all surprised because we didn't think the journal wanted to get rid of personal finance and wealth management. Um, so that was a really um, harrowing time. Most of us were in the union. And so essentially that, that was a 45 day notice period for us. And so we had 45 days to, you know, still work there. Um, and about something like 10 days in it, into it, they said, um, you know, we're going to actually repost like eight of those jobs and you'll be invited to reapply for your job. And, um, you know, everyone can reapply for those eight jobs, but there's only going to be eight seats out of the 20. And, you know, you'll find out at the end of the 45 day period, if you're, you're really fired, you're, you're actually never going to leave the building and still going to be employed with us. And long story short, I was able to land one of those spots. And, um, you know, that really taught me, really emphasized to me the importance of internal networking and pitching yourself and also external networking too, because during that time, I didn't know if I was going to be picked. And so I had already, you know, I had networked with people, but it really made me a bit more methodical about that. And also really stressed to me the importance of keeping up relationships over time. Like, you know, Angela and I have known each other for 10 years. That that's not uncommon for me. I know a lot of people for many years and, and that's I love that because you get to know the person a bit more and they're they're not just a professional contact at a certain point and so I think that's super important especially during a time like now that it's just everything is so uncertain I don't know if there's any sort of set career anymore or set career path so just keeping those relationships open not because you want something just because you like to uh, deal with you like to have relationships with people and you never know it's all about helping each other I love what you said about being methodical about it so that you have to be deliberate it is networking doesn't just happen you have to actually make it happen so yeah that was a great great point so what about coping with difficulties um, are there certain approaches that you you take I think you mentioned some earlier in the in this event but for sure. Uh, a couple of things that I do personally, and I've learned from some of my guests as well. I mean, I try to meditate maybe 20 minutes in the morning before I get going, before I start checking email, try to walk in the morning as well. I, you know, I speak to a therapist regularly and I, you know, I, I'm open about that because especially when I speak to students and, and young women, I, I think it's, it's, can be very helpful of people from all ages, but it's helped me a lot professionally and personally. 
deal with some of the stress, especially in the, in the world that we're in. Um, I will uh, write a gratitude list, maybe just three or five things every night in, in a journal that I'm grateful for just to keep my, my attitude and my vibe positive, because I think that can be very helpful as well and keep things in perspective and um, just quality time with my husband <laughs> also helps. Great. Um, and then career advice can come from all, all sides. Um, how do you decide who to listen to? How do you decide, you know, who to ignore? It's a great question. I go a lot on gut instinct um, when it comes to what I should be following or doing in my career. I've learned over time to really turn out, tune off the negative voices, especially uh, on social media. Um, because of my job, I'm on things like Twitter and uh, you don't really get it so much on LinkedIn, but I would say Twitter is, is probably the biggest one, uh, especially as a woman, you, you can get some pretty nasty comments. Um, sometimes also by email, people say, oh, I didn't like the dress you wore on TV or, you know, that was a stupid article. And, you know, I, when I was younger, that used to really bother me, but, and I wanted to respond, but now I just, you know, I swipe left. <laughs> I, I just, or, you know, silence the person. It, it's just not worth it. Um, and so I, I try to surround myself with a very tight group of family and friends who I trust and I know have my best interests at heart and leave it at that. Yeah, great. Um, so let's switch to talking about women in the workplace. How has the culture changed for you over your career? You know, here we are, this is a pink wall event and you've been successful at, you know, climbing the pink wall and, and shattering a glass ceiling. So what, what, what barriers still exist? What, what are you doing to overcome dismantle barriers for women and minorities? And, and maybe you could just talk about your experience. I think it's still a process, right? I, I don't know if I fully shattered um, a glass ceiling. I, I think it, it's, you know, sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. I think what has changed over my career for me personally, and then also I've seen it within my company is the ability to talk about some of these issues, you know, the ability to talk about, and I'm part of the women's group at my company. And we talk about things like equal pay and we've lobbied for things like equal pay or um, career advancement for women. And, and now a big issue for a lot of folks is, you know, keeping the flexibility we have now because of the pandemic, we want to, know that when we return people who have families or, you know, whether it's elderly parents or young children to take care of, that we'll have some sort of flexibility, I think is going to be really important um, women's issue in terms of keeping women in the workforce. So I think that's probably one of the next big hurdles um, that we're facing. Uh, in terms of, you know, advancing women in general in a more global sense, um, I think it's telling stories, making sure we have diverse voices in our stories and, you know, podcasts or videos that were, were, or our events, some of the events that I may be helping plan, I make sure that we have a variety of speakers who can share a variety of perspectives. So it's not just all white women up there. I mean, I think that's something we need to avoid consciously. And, and I know our events team is focused on that as well. So things like that, um, mentoring is another pretty simple way to help out, whether it's mentoring someone 
for, you know, one or two times or mentoring someone, my mentor, a military veteran, and I, we meet, you know, once a month for an hour. So little things like that to help raise other women up. I think also just being supportive of, of other women and cheering each other on when you have a success. Um, mm-hmm. Being there for other women and celebrating their success and being an ally, a true ally to other women instead of trying to tear them down, I think it is so important. It's something we don't talk about enough, but mm-hmm. I think women need to have each other's backs in the workplace. And, and that necessarily doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does and it happens really well. It, it's really great when it does, but I think we also need to remember we need to cheer each other on. Yeah, you've done so much, you know, elevating the voices of women through your podcast, you know, with hundreds of thousands of listeners. I mean, it's really remarkable. So if you were going to start again with your career, you know, thinking about people who are just starting out, especially after you've interviewed so many successful women, what what would you do differently? Would you would you make any changes uh, or do do anything differently? I would be unapologetic about asking for more pay earlier on in my career. I think it took me a couple of years to feel comfortable to have those conversations. I think I was apologizing a lot. Like, I'm sorry, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to take up your time. Um, I think I would be a lot more confident early on because I know just from talking to some of my male colleagues, they would just walk, sometimes <laughs> you'd hear these stories, they would just walk in and say, you deserve to, you know, I deserve, deserve to be paid more. You need to pay me more. And then they would walk out and, you know, meanwhile, I might, and some of my female colleagues would be like, oh, oh, can you schedule me in? And is it okay? And, you know, and I did that. And not that I'm saying I'm being, you know, rude or aggressive now, but just have that more confidence and believe in my contributions early on that, you know, this is a two-way street here. You know, I work hard, but I should be rewarded as well. So to have that confidence to ask for it. And another thing I didn't realize too, is the importance of rehearsing conversations like that, whether it's with your friend or a career coach, or even just rehearsing what you're going to say to your boss when you go in, um, you know, practicing on your iPhone, things like that, just tape yourself. So you get more comfortable with the language can go a long way too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a hard thing, negotiating a salary, but so important. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. So I'm going to ask one more question, but just a reminder to the audience that you can submit questions through the Q&A widget at the bottom of the screen, and we will get to hear Ronica's answers. Um, so the last question I have for you is what's next for your career? So the podcast is ending and, and what do you hope to accomplish in the next five to 10 years? So I'm really building out the Wall Street Journal's coverage of women and money in other forms, whether it's more stories about the topic, uh, some events. Uh, personally, I'd also like to do a, a hardcover or paper book about women and money. Uh, I can, you know, I do appearances on TV and video. I'd like to get some sort of formal contributor gig, uh, being like sort of like the personal finance expert for the Today Show is sort of my, uh, I mean, I love Jean Chatsky, so I don't want to replace her in any means. But, you know, people like who are on your board, like Consuelo Mack, she's someone that I look up to so much. So be some version of her somehow. <laughs> that would be neat. Great. Well, 
That's terrific. Thank you so much for sharing your personal story and, and I look forward to, um, maybe I could ask one more question while we're waiting for a few questions. I had um, um, just a question. How do you manage to blend your personal and professional life and are you satisfied with your balance of work and home? So that has gotten a little trickier now that I work from home, like so many of us, but I try to do little tricks. Like for example, when I'm in my work hours, when I'm working, I have on my sort of ballet flats, but when I'm not working, I either, you know, take them off and put on my sneakers or my slippers, just so psychologically I'm a little bit uh, separated. Uh, I'm trying to think of how else I make that separation. I try to get up and take walks around the apartment or just take a walk around the block a couple times a day just to clear my head because otherwise you're just sitting here um, in the room and you need a little variety. So overall, I, I, I would say I'm happy with the separation um, and the integration too because there's not always going to be a separation, especially in journalism when you have to work sometimes nights and weekends, you have to be there's got to be a bit of a give and take. And fortunately, my husband's very um, flexible with some of that. So yeah, and here it's 750 on the East Coast. So thank you yeah, for giving us some of your night. Thank you. Veronica. We do have a few questions here. So one on compensation and asking for it apropos, during the pandemic, uh, do you think it's appropriate to ask for more money? That's a really good question. I think it depends, right? I think it depends on the industry that you're in. Um, but I think it also depends on your, you know, if you're asking the question, this sounds like you're probably already a, a great performer. So I, I would say no matter what the situation is, you, you want to, timing is important. So right, you, if your boss is um, in a very difficult situation right now and is having to make cuts to, to the group, maybe this isn't the best time. Maybe you want to wait a month or something. But in the meantime, no matter when you're going to do that, I think you've got to have that documentation of your accomplishments. Mm -hmm. One of the things I don't think I, I mentioned is, you know, all year. So I keep a spreadsheet. And so anytime I have a so-called win throughout the year, I write it in the spreadsheet, just, just a spreadsheet for me so I can keep track. So when I feel like it's time for me to ask for that raise, uh, I will have concrete evidence of all the wins I've had and also how it corresponds to their goals. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, you're a star performer and you are hitting those, those company goals and exceeding them and contributing to that bottom line and making this place a great place to work, I think, I say, why not? I, I can't imagine, I think maybe you might have to tone down some of your expectations. And again, I think it's so much of it is industry related. I know so mm -hmm. many people in hospitality who've lost their jobs. And so the people remaining in the seats who are still employed, I'm not hearing a ton, a ton of them asking for raises right now. However, maybe if you're in an industry that's thriving, you probably, you know, if you're working for one of the tech companies, you should be asking for a raise, right? So it really depends on the industry, but no matter what your timing is, just make sure you have the evidence to back it up get a good time on your manager's calendar so you're not taking them by surprise and they have a chance to really absorb what you're saying. And also realize like 
it can take a while, depending on where you work. Sometimes, depending on budget cycles, you may have to wait a couple months. Um, and so maybe you can't get that raise now, but maybe you can get it six months from now. Just be willing to keep like, pleasantly persistent is what I like to say. Keep reminding people of your value. Well, this, this ties into that question. And it's about any tips on gaining confidence. You know, how do you really build yourself up and get that courage to ask for things that you deserve? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think a couple things. Um, I think I'm a big fan of affirmations. Some people may think it's a little cheesy, but I like to keep maybe like 10 affirmations. I say to myself, maybe I'll say them in the morning or say them in the evening. And I know a lot of successful women do this, you know, like I am, you know, I'm smart, I'm capable, I, you know, I can achieve anything. Things like that can really help boost your confidence. And it won't feel as strange to say that um, after a while. So reminding yourself, um, being really kind, and I think this is where things like therapy fit in, is just being really conscious of the words you say to yourself during the day. I think we all have this internal dialogue. And unfortunately, it seems like women tend to be a little bit more self-critical or, or um, difficult in their own mind to themselves. And I think just reminding yourself of, you know, saying, good job, you know, you did that, you did that well, let's, you know. I give you a high five to yourself, just saying those positive things instead of saying like, Oh, there you go again. You know, keeping it positive, I think can do a lot um, of, you know, positive reinforcement. Also, I think seeking out those sources of inspiration, whether it's podcasts or, or stories about women who are successful, seeking out positive people in your life or, you know, positive Instagram messages, looking through, looking like filtering what you're consuming as well, whether it's your news or whether the inspiration that you're, you're looking for, being really conscious of what you're taking in, because that, that does, I think, affect you mm-hmm. on some level and practice too, just practice. Yeah. The, the whole idea of being around people that are uplifting, I think yes. is really important rather than people that tend to drag you down because of their own insecurities and whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what about mentors? You must have had a series of them or at least a good handful along the way to help your career, maybe even sponsor you. you want to tell us about some of these and perhaps the one that's the most influential? For sure. I've, had a, I've been fortunate to have many over my career mentors and sponsors. Many of them have been men. And so I I want to emphasize that even though I write a lot about women and do videos about women, I think so much is to be learned from opposite sex. And I think that is completely fine to have a mentor who's a guy or a sponsor who's a guy. Um, Women have been very supportive of my career as well. I think just we're in this world where still a lot of the senior positions are um, held by men. And so I think you have to be open to, um, having those, uh, professional relationships and asking for that help, um, whether it's a 15 minute coffee or, um, you know, sending an article to that person and say, I thought, I know you're interested in X. I saw this article on X, you know, sharing this with you, uh, things like that can help build the relationship over time. And, uh, and help you seek out uh, the people that you, you think are going to help advance your career. I think if it can be a sort of a two-way street, mm-hmm. that's helpful as well, because maybe 
there's someone who you're looking for for mentoring, but their daughter is also looking for some advice as well. And so you're willing to help and it all sort of fits together that way. But I, I, it's one of the things that's clear to me is that you, we can't do it alone. We need, we need cheerleaders, we need sponsors, and we need people who are going to speak on our behalf when we're not in the room. Yeah, I think that is really important. I mean, I've had, I had one man early in my career, my boss, who would do that. You know, he was very, very supportive. And yeah, without that, you're really, it's very difficult to move. So we have a question here from actually one of our advisory board members, Evelyn Zolan, who is a very successful financial planner here in Orange County. And I think you may have talked to her, Veronica, over the years, it's possible. But Evelyn is asking how, for some advice on how to share stories and about her, their clients and success stories to encourage other women just to get the word out. What would you suggest that they do? To, to continue to, to proselytize the, the financial literacy side of all of this? It's mm-hmm. a good question. I, I know there's some women uh, who advisors who um, do some short videos on LinkedIn about what they're hearing from their clients and, and, um, or may have a blog where they write some of the stories uh, about what they're sharing. I think obviously there's, there's different regulatory things to consider with that, but I think being able to share those stories is helpful. Another thing I've heard from some female advisors too, or some male advisors is just, well, this was easier pre-pandemic, but convening groups of clients and having a woman, maybe a widow come up and share her experience with the other clients. Some of the most powerful conversations I've heard among advisors uh, and among their clients happen when clients speak to other clients about what they've been through and try to empower them and, and impart some of those lessons. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know if that answers her question, but so some of the creative things I've seen. I've seen done to, to really engage people. Yeah, That's a, we have a question here from Claire. Uh, Veronica, what advice do you have for women and financial advisors that would like to transition into sort of what you're doing? In other words, you're being able to have a wider, much wider audience or platform to speak from. How do you make that move into into broadcast or radio or uh, whatever avenue they choose? Well, I know. So one way into the the print aspect, um, some of the the, my sources who are CFPs are members of NAPFA, um, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, I think. And many of us will send press requests through that for comments. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the advisors will respond and then they'll get quoted in some place like the journal or Barron's or Market Watch. So that's one way from the, the print side. Uh, I know some advisors either have a PR person like Angela or they um, pitch themselves to say local media, um, you know, whether it's radio stations or podcasts or television. Uh, I think it really helps to have a specific pitch when you're doing that though. Like not just like, Hey, I'm so-and-so a financial advisor. Like give me a story idea that I haven't necessarily heard Mm -hmm. from other people um, that you can lend your unique perspective on. I think that's very helpful because there's so many experts out there. Like what, what makes your, what's your niche? Like what makes you a bit different from somebody else? You know, I think we're in such a world that 
you don't need to wait for a media network to call you. You can, like I said, go on LinkedIn or, or go on mm -hmm. Instagram and do a live and, and build your experience up that way. You don't have to wait for someone to call you. Um, but there is ways you can pitch yourself. Uh, but again, I think it really helps to have a specific niche sometimes because that helps journalists mm -hmm. almost slot you in their brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's the way to go. Something unique or some something that's in the news that you feel particularly uh, authoritative on. Could exactly. be the pandemic and women in the pandemic, for example, and how they're coping. Right. We right. have a question from Carlos. Tips? Do you have any tips on how to create um, a healthy interest with to children? What you went through, <laughs> How did you? What what kind of tips in in terms of of starting to starting very young? to get people to be, get the children to be conscious of money and financially literate. One step at a time, of course. <laughs> right, right, exactly. No, I love that question. That's really great. Um, you know, I think there's small things you can do. Um, just kind of talking, you say you go to the grocery store and depending on how old your kid is, maybe you explain why you're you know, willing to pay, you know, $10 for this tomato sauce, but you know, or you're only willing to pay $5 for the tomato sauce and not $10 for the tomato sauce. And, and, and your decision making process through that, for example, or maybe they have, you know, get a birthday check from the grandparents and you've started a little savings account for them. Mm -hmm. Maybe you show them how you, you know, deposit it on your phone and then you show them the balance. And, and, and so they start to maybe make connections. I think it's really important just to start having those conversations about money um, and making those spending decisions, I think is important mm -hmm. so they can, figure out their own value system. Hopefully it corresponds to your value system. Um, th there's a woman, um, she's a friend of mine and she's also a financial expert, Bobby Rebell, R-E-B-B-E-L-L. Uh, -E -E and she writes all these books about um, being a financial grown-up. So, and she, I think she's got a podcast. She does a lot of really great things. I've probably been on her podcast. She does uh, she's really uh, a wonderful specialist when it comes to talking to kids about money. So I would recommend her books and her, her media to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true to teach them the value of money and that, you know, not to buy the most expensive things. And sometimes you can't buy something. You have to wait, not no immediate gratification all the time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, someone's asking about if they can see, uh, here, your podcast now, and how would they access them? So you, they are still on Apple Podcasts, which is free. Okay. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Spotify. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the show is sunsetted, but those shows are still up there. So And they're evergreen. So it's nice because you can listen to them in any order or cherry pick who you want to listen to. And they are up there for free for to consume. So you can subscribe or you can just download episode by episode, depending on what your schedule is. And, you know, that's part of what I love about podcasts is that you can be listening and also be multitasking as well. Yes. While you're walking or or in the car or wherever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great, great uh, way to fill the time. Really yeah. wonderful. Learn something. 
How about we have another question here? How about business books? Are there ones that um, have been you think are particularly good? I, I assume that we're asking about um, investing books and maybe not specifically business books, maybe both. Anyway, whatever views you might have on that, Veronica. Yep. Um, so I love um, books on personal finance, and there, there's probably several on those. You know, Wall Street Journal had a really good guide several years ago, and we're sort of updating it for free online, actually. It, it's a sort of a 101 guide to personal finance, and we're taking different articles, uh, writing about different subjects that you can download uh, for free. That's one thing that we're, we're focused on. Um, I'm personally interested in books about um you know, asking for raises, being confident. So um, Nika from Morning Joe, I'm blanking on her last name, has a whole series of books that I, um, I recommend uh, that can be very inspirational for women. Um, in general, finance type books, you know, like the classics, um, like Random Walk Down Wall Street or um, Jim Rogers. He, he's an investor. He, I think he lives in Singapore yeah. now. Um, but he had like back in the day, he had this books called um, Investment Biker, which I read with oh, when yeah. I was like years ago. I remember that, yeah. Remember those? They were yeah. so fun. And he would be like traveling the world on his motorcycle yeah. and like talking through his investment process. I don't know. <laughs> I just found that to be the like the most interesting way of looking at finance in the world. So things like that that are a little bit off the beaten path, I think. Are yes, good. yes, can be really, really interesting. Get a lot of advice for sure. Right. And what about uh, Charlie Ellis's books? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think anything that you feel that you'll actually that you'll read and yeah. and and work through is great. And I think so. Books. Um, you we mentioned podcasts. Any way that I think is going to attract your attention. There's a lot of good. I, it's funny. Like there's a lot of some interesting personal and investing con content on Instagram now too. So I mean, you have to be pick and choose. But I think there's a lot of ways to consume. And I think the, the important part is to try to learn something every day. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to become this financial expert or personal finance expert overnight. Just take a little bit each day and you might actually find that it's, it can be kind of fun. Yeah. And what about reading the wall street journal? On a oh, of course. Whoops. That's yes. another one that you could get that too. <laughs> okay. Now I have a question here from my niece who's watching. Yeah. Oh, yes. She said, this is a great webinar. So oh. really enjoying it. So she's in her uh, 20s. Uh, I guess maybe early 30s, she's saying here. But my question is, what okay. advice do you have for those who want to make a career change it, early in their career? So right. She, yeah. 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 I think that's great. Uh, so I would suggest doing what I did is I, I, I did a lot of informational interviewing um, because, uh, you know, I had known I wanted to be a writer, but I wasn't sure. Um, I mean, I was sure, but I was kind of afraid to admit it, but that's a whole other thing. But I was looking at other things. I looked at things like pharmaceutical sales. I looked at, um, I think I'd mentioned, you know, a securities analyst. Uh, I, I looked at all different types of um, fields, you know, even corporate trainer at a certain point. And so, uh, you know, in my, you know, early 20s, I was sort of, you know, all over the place. And so I did informational interviews with people. I would mostly through Fordham, I would set up, you know, a 15 minute 
call or if I could get them in person, a, a meeting now, I guess it would be a zoom and just ask them like, what do you do each day? What do you like? What don't you like? You know, what can I expect? What's the career path? How are things changed? What advice would you give? And I mean, I would be amazed how much I would find out in a very short amount of time. And again, going back to gut instinct, I was amazed how much I was able to be like, oh, I don't want to be an investment banker. Like, I, I, you know, there's nothing against it, but it, that, that would not be my personality. Um, and, but I wouldn't have known that if I had just read it online. I mean, reading about careers online is also, also helpful. Um, but I think talking to people who actually do it day in and day out can give you just the sense of it and to see if this is the right fit for you. Like if you're in your gut when they're talking, are you like, hey, no, no, I don't want to do this. Or are you thinking, oh, oh my gosh, I really would want to do that. Um, someone also told me sometimes think about like who you're, if you're trying to figure out what you want to do, but you're not sure, um, you know, see if you can ease your way into it, like almost like a side hustle, like I did, like I was doing some of the freelance writing on the side at night, I had, there was no risk to me to do that. I mean, I had a, a day job, um, I was just devoting some weekends and nights to it. So it didn't hurt my day job. And I was getting experience, I was getting to do what I love to test it out. And there was no risk in that. So mm -hmm. if there's a way you can slowly dip your foot in, just to see if that's what you, you think might be the right thing for you. It could be uh, a less risky way to, to try it, especially in a, a time like now, if you don't want to jump to a completely new field, if you feel like mm -hmm. things may not be super stable. Yeah, I love that idea. It's doing something on the side, testing it out. Yeah, it, that's a, it's a great way to get started. We have a question here from our founder, who I think you also have spoken to over the years, Victoria Collins who's also a financial planner, coach, philanthropist. Yeah. She's asking a question because she does some coaching now. Okay, how do you promote financial responsibility among young affluent people who feel entitled? This is a problem that I see <laughs> coaching multi-generational families. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's a tough one. I, 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 uh, I don't know. It's maybe... I was going to say, is it too late to coach their parents who may <laughs> feel entitled, but <laughs> that's a whole lot of debate. Um, oh gosh. Uh, maybe, maybe inspiring them if they're willing, if you can cross have this conversation to, to volunteer so they can uh, see how other people may, the choices other people may need to make. Uh, perhaps that's one way. I know philanthropy can be a little tricky sometimes when you're talking to, to people as an advisor. Um, some people get offended by that. Uh, evidently, some people don't. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, service. But I feel like if you're already an adult, how do you get unentitled? I, I'm not sure. Um, I think other than having to go through a difficult time. I think she's asking about the children how to, but I guess that goes, reverts back to the parents. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Oh, so like children, like still children, not adult children. Yeah, I thought you were saying adult children. Young affluent people, I guess she's thinking, you know, maybe not children, but young, you know, young. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I guess seeing if you can take them to the soup kitchen, yeah, that's you know, what I was thinking, yeah. involving them in the family, giving decisions, uh, you know, having them, I know some families, you know, gather around 
the holidays, maybe it's all virtually now and there's a pot of money they're going to give to charity and they have each um, young person get up and give a speech, a two minute speech on why they think this charity should get our family's money this year and do research on that charity and prepare a presentation for everyone to vote on. I, I love ideas like that because it gets people thinking about people other than themselves. Yeah. Yeah. To see how, how lucky they really are. Right. Yeah. Um, I have one question for you. Um, you know, I know that guests are probably like children. You're not supposed to have favorites, Veronica. <laughs> Who were a couple of your favorite guests? Oh, oh gosh. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. but yeah. <laughs> um, I really liked Eileen Fisher, the fashion designer, because she was very interesting. Like she talked about, she talked a lot about you know, caring for her employees and caring about the environment. And she, it's just fascinating because she, they do something where they start every court, you know, company meeting and every meeting in general with a moment or two of silence and, and some sort of meditation. And I was like, and she said it completely changes the dynamics and the egos sort of in the room it, it, during this meeting. And I was like, that is fascinating I hadn't heard too many companies doing things like that so and for her to have the courage to speak about that I thought was really neat and I was like oh maybe that's something we should all adopt maybe it would it would help uh, collaboration in a lot of ways so she was a favorite um I'm trying to think um Bonnie St. John was also a favorite she is a para-olympian she, um, she had a very difficult upbringing and she had lost one of her legs and had a very difficult time, but she went on to become, you know, Harvard grad and a famous athlete. And she's done inspirational speaking around the world and has written books and you know, her message is, you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And you can overcome some of the most difficult things that have happened to her. She is also um, an assault survivor. And she spoke about that and being over, able to overcome that and, and have this enormous success. People like that who are so generous in sharing their story and can overcome such obstacles just really inspire me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one more question. Um, you mentioned your sales background. You started out in sales. And how important do you think that has been in your career, that you had that first experience of barely being on the front line and having to sell something to someone? Has that been a big influence for you? I think it is helpful. I think it's actually, you know, some people, journalists won't like this, but I think it's very similar to journalism in a way, because you have to be willing to call people up who you don't know mm -hmm. and say, you know, tell me about this. What do you think about this? You have to be willing to email strangers. You need to be willing to talk to strangers. You have to be willing to pitch ideas to your editor and hear no, like you need to be willing to put yourself out there. So any sort of um, sales training, public speaking training, I was a member of Toastmasters for years, uh -huh. which helped me, you know, with sales, but also helped me with um, things like TV and media appearances, all that all sort of fits together. It's not as foreign uh, there's a lot more in common sometimes than you, you, you might necessarily think. So 
I think any of that, that's huge. And my finance background too, from school, also super helpful and reading balance sheets for stories. And so in a way, a lot of things fit together sometimes in ways that we don't necessarily think they're going to fit together. But I think being open-minded and willing to constantly learn is probably the, the through line. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had another event in October and that was a big point, right. To, to uh, make sure that, uh, that you constantly learn and learn things all the time and the, being curious about things. For sure. Well, anybody else have a question here? Any Rosemary, Stephanie, any follow-ups? Chris, what about you? Any questions? <laughs> no, it was terrific. Thank you so much, Veronica. Wow, really, you. really terrific. And we thank, thank you so, so much. much. And thank you for taking the time in, in a, a busy day. And uh, uh, we just, it was a delightful program. Really, really delightful. We thank you. And we thank all of our listeners, people that tuned in. We know if everybody's really busy, but I'm sure we, I know I got a lot out of this. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. So many great questions from everyone. I really appreciate you taking the interest and time. And Chris, thank you so much for all your help in organizing this and your technological help. <laughs> Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, that's why I have uh, the interns here because they can keep me up on technology. So, uh, but no, thank you so much uh, for all the information. That was terrific. And, um, you know, certainly, certainly gives me some stuff to digest uh, this evening and uh, as I go through the rest of the year. So thank you. And we'll see if we can get Veronica to uh, join us in WISE. She would be a big asset to us. <laughs> uh, thank you. So thank you so much. Bye-bye, everyone.